The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Fantastic. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and grab those, please, and turn to a portion of Scripture that always stirs me to pray. And that passage, that portion of Scripture, is Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. This morning we conclude our mini-series, which we entitled Speak Out, which is a part of the theme for the year, Radiate. We've been looking at radiating Christ through our words, speaking words of life, speaking words of encouragement, sharing our stories of how we were encountered by Christ. And this morning we're going to consider radiating Christ through intercessory prayer. Sounds like a good idea? Daniel chapter 9. We're going to read two sections of this prayer, uh, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem, that is the exile, the period of exile, would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And then Daniel records his confession. He confesses his own sin. He confesses the sins of the nation. He petitions God and he intercedes for his generation. And now jump down to verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my requests to the Lord my God for his holy hill, that's Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray... A word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. I've entitled this morning's message, Grabbing the Attention of God. Let's pray. Father, it's so encouraging to know that when we come to you in the name of Jesus, you not only hear us, but you welcome us warmly. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that this message would be used to advance your kingdom in this city, in our lives, in our nation, Lord God. I pray that it would stir something in us this morning. I pray that this would be more than mere information, but a word that brings transformation, lasting fruit for your namesake. And in your son's name we ask, amen, amen. A good friend of mine who lives in the UK once told me a true story that I believe captures the power of intercessory prayer. She said that this one day when she was sitting in her car waiting for her kids to come out of school, she noticed a certain 13-year-old boy. Now, she had never met this lad before, but she heard that he was a bit of a lad, all right? Her kids had told him, had told her that he was notorious for being naughty. He had a bad reputation in the school, and apparently he had been kicked out of one high school and was well on his way of being kicked out of this particular high school. And so she said that as she saw him, 
coming out of the school gate, she was moved to intercede for him. And she did that. She prayed for him. She prayed that God would rescue him and save him. Well, to cut a glorious story short, she obviously caught the attention of God, grabbed the attention of God, because that 13-year-old lad, a couple of years after that, became a follower of Jesus. And amazingly, is today a pastor in a growing multicultural church in the city of Sydney. And in fact, I personally know this pastor really, really well because this pastor is yours truly. (laughs) I was that naughty kid. And that lady, that dear lady who's now a close friend of mine, she bothered to pray for me. And so I know, church, firsthand the power of intercessory prayer. And so this morning as we come to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to look at four observations concerning intercession. We're going to look at that and then four practical steps to help us do this thing called intercessory prayer. Does that sound like a good idea? All right, now before we jump into the first observation, just one quick uh, definition or clarification, and that is some Christians are a little confused about intercession, what it is. Some, some Christians are put off by the term because sometimes intercession is kind of connected with a certain type of person, you know what I'm talking about? All right, so, so some Christians are kind of put off and, and they're not too sure what intercession means. Some of you are smiling, you know what I mean, all right? Or intercession, simply put, simple definition, is asking God for things for others. Asking God for things for others. What's the key term? Others. Petition, we know that. It's asking God for things for ourselves. Whereas intercession is outward focused by definition. It's, it's looking out from yourself. It's others centers, others oriented. It's asking God for things for others. The technical term or definition for intercession is mediating between two parties as the equal friend of both. That's the technical definition, and and we see this in Scripture. Moses, Abraham, he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah because his nephew Lot is there. Queen Esther, she intercedes on behalf of her people as she approaches the king of Persia, and he spared them. And we we see it throughout Scripture. And so intercession is that. It's mediating between two parties as the equal friend of both. Simply put, it's asking God for things for others. Clear? Clear as mud? All right, so every time I use the term intercession, you know what it means. So, observation number one. Intercession is generated by Scripture. Intercession is fueled by Scripture. Just as the material cosmos, the material universe, came into existence through the declarative word of God, let there be, let there be, let there be, intercession in our lives is brought into existence through the inscripturated word of God, the Bible. Who agrees? It's in verse 2 if you don't. Look at, listen to what Daniel says. He says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation, that's the unhappy state, the unhappy situation of exile, of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so picture Daniel, he's in the word, he's reading the scroll of Jeremiah, and he gets out his little calculator, and he does the math, and lo and behold, exile is about to end. And so he realizes, wow, breakthrough is coming deliverance is upon us. And so what does he do? 
Well, look at verse 3. So I turned to the Lord God and what? Pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Can you see intercession in his life was generated by Scripture as he sat in the Word of God. It's true for each of us. If, 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 inter- if we want intercession to increase in our lives, then we need a greater consumption of Scripture. We need to have more scripture in our hearts. It's, it's a sad reality that little scripture in our lives, in our minds and hearts, will often mean little intercession on our tongues because the two go together. If you want to be a person who prays prayers of intercession, you've got to be a person of the book. You've got to be in the word as Daniel was because intercession is generated by scripture. As I said, I know this firsthand because I'm the result of someone's prayer of intercession, but I also know this to be true in my own Christian life, in my own Christian walk. Just just last Tuesday, I was reading the book of uh, the Gospel of Luke because I've been reading Luke in my quiet times, and I arrived at Luke chapter 13. And in the chapter, Jesus gives a parable about the fig tree. You may be familiar with the parable. And in the fig tree, the owner of the vineyard, he comes to this fig tree three years consecutively, only to find no fruit on its branches. And what does he do? Well, he's frustrated with this blasted fig tree, and so he asks for his gardener to cut it down. And what does the gardener do, the caretaker do in Jesus' parable? He intercedes on behalf of the fig tree. Of course, the fig tree represented the nation of Israel and by extension, every human outside of Christ. And so he intercedes and says, look, you know, just leave it alone. Just one year, good, you know, owner and and I'll fertilize it. I'll dig around it and let's see in a year's time whether it produces fruit. If not, cut it down. If so, awesome. When I was reading the passage... In context, because the context is all about the importance of repentance. Jesus had just stressed that twice before, just prior. He says, if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. And then he gives this parable to, I guess, um, give the urgency of the hour, to, to help us see the urgency of the hour that, yes, God is patient, but he's not indifferent to human rebellion and idolatry. And so people have a period of time that they're not to put off Christ, not to put off repenting. And of course, when I was reading it, I was what? I was moved to intercede for my neighbors and my family members. Now, here's the point. I guarantee you, if I hadn't have been in Scripture Tuesday morning, there would have been no intercession flowing from this mouth. Period. Period. We will not intercede if we're not in Scripture because the two go together like two sides of the same zip. They are Siamese twins, Scripture and intercession. So that's the first observation. Intercession is generated by Scripture. The second observation from Daniel 9. Intercession presupposes partnership. It assumes a partnership. That is a partnership between God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God, and us, his covenant people in Christ. A question, a question for you. Why did Daniel pray? Why did Daniel pray? Why didn't he just say to his friends after reading Jeremiah, hey, 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 boys, I've just read in Jeremiah that exile is about to end. And so this is my advice. This is my suggestion. Keep your heads down. Don't rock the boat. Just zip it, lock it, 
put it in your pocket. That's what my kids tell me to do. Just lip it, lock it, put it in the pocket, Dad. Uh, just keep your heads down. Don't rock the proverbial boat, all right? Just play it safe because guess what? God's deliverance is coming. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he say, look, God has said it. I believe it. That sells it, as some would say. All right? Why, why did he pray? Because he understood something that we desperately need to understand if we're going to see the kingdom of God advance in this city and our nation. He understood this, that God not only plans what will be, what will happen, he got that. He also understood the ways that God accomplishes his eternal plans. And one of his chief ways is through the intercessory prayers of his covenant people. Do you believe that? You see, some of you are not too convinced. Yeah, it's true. You're still not convinced. Yeah, good. It's through the intercessory prayers of his people. Listen, Daniel obviously didn't believe in a closed universe where everything in the universe is set in concrete, a fatalistic worldview. He wasn't a fatalist. He didn't just sit there and go, oh, what will be, will be. I can't alter anything. I can't change this situation. No, he believed in a God, a sovereign God, whose attention could be grabbed through the prayers of his people. And so he prayed. And so he prayed. One writer, uh, Richard Foster, in his important book, Celebration of Discipline, states this. We are working with God to determine the outcome of things. Just let that sit for a bit. It needs to be said reverently, but it needs to be said, we are, get this, co-creators with God in advancing his kingdom upon the earth. I remember the first time reading, I think, I'm not too sure whether that's right or not, but because it's so huge, co-creators in advancing the kingdom of God upon the earth. And of course, it is right. It is biblical because Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, that we are God's fellow workers. We are his co-laborers in the harvest of the world. We work with him. We partner with him. You see, this is why Jesus urges us to what? To pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Look, if it was automatic, if the kingdom just came automatically, then why would he urge us to pray that way? The point, it's not automatic. It's a partnership. It's amazing that God has ordained it that way. He didn't have to ordain it that way, but he has decreed to move in power through the lives of his people. And one of those chief ways, chief means, is through intercession. And so intercession presupposes a partnership. Does that stir you? Come on, let it stir you. Don't forget this when you walk out the door this morning. Let it stir and grip your heart. Heart Number three, observation number three. Intercession is born out of desperation. Born out of desperation. A sense of helplessness. Again, Daniel realized that he and his people, humanly speaking, couldn't liberate themselves. He couldn't simply go to King Xerxes of Persia and say, oh, noble king, we've been reading in our sacred scriptures that we're not supposed to be here. So I think you should just let us go. I mean, he would have been beheaded on the spot. And so his desperation, he realized, I can't change this situation, but I know one who can. And so he goes to the king above the kingdom of Persia. He goes to the king above King Xerxes in prayer. Amen? 
It reminds me of the man in Jesus' parable in Luke 11, who out of desperation and a sense of helplessness goes to his friend's house asking for bread because he's got a friend who had unexpectedly arrived at night, at midnight, and he didn't have anything to give. And what does the man say in Jesus' parable? It's the key statement, the one that we're meant to grasp. He says, quote, I have no food to give to my friend. What's that? That's the language of what? Desperation. I don't have food. In the first century, you know, that was the thing to do. It was culturally appropriate to be hospitable. It didn't matter what time your friend arrived. It wasn't the point. That wasn't the important point. It was just, you've got to give him a meal, and he didn't have food. And so his desperation caused him to walk into the middle of the night on the streets, pounding doors, seeking bread. Remember the technical definition of intercession? It's mediating between two parties as what? The equal friend of both. That's exactly what Jesus was driving at in the parable. The the equal friend of both. We are to be God's intercessors. We are friends of God and friends of the world as well, to see blessing because we don't have the ability often to give people what they desperately, earnestly need or change situations. One writer, Andrew Murray, a South African pastor who wrote extensively on the subject of prayer, said these words, quote, Blessed is the man who has made this I have nothing, that's straight from Jesus' parable, the motto of his ministry. And I add the motto of his life, this I have nothing. The sense of our impotence, impotence, helplessness, is the soul of intercession. The simplest, weakest Christian can pray down blessing from the Almighty. So let me encourage you. Allow your feelings of desperation and helplessness usher in the power of intercession. Say to your restless heart, your weary heart, I can't change this situation, this political situation, this relational, marital, financial situation, parental situation, but I know one who can. And take it to him in prayer. Yeah? Because intercession is born out of desperation. I think one of... The you know, indictments of our age, our Christian Western age, is that we are way too satisfied. We're just satisfied with the way things are in the world. And we're not indignant. We don't get uptight. It doesn't bother us. We just are happy with the status quo. Never allow yourself to be okay with the status quo. All right? Amen? All right. Observation number four. Intercession grabs the attention of God. So intercession is generated by Scripture. Intercession presupposes partnership. Intercession is born out of desperation. Lastly, intercession is powerful. Namely, it grabs the attention of God. That is, God is pleased, pleased to move in saving power when his covenant people intercede in line with his plans. He's pleased. He's pleased. Look at verse 23. So Daniel has been met by Gabriel, the angel, and this is what Gabriel says to Daniel in verse 23. As soon as you began to pray, did you read that? As soon as you began to pray, something happened. A word went out. So picture Daniel. He's on his knees interceding on behalf of his generation And as soon as he opens his mouth and formulates those words, the very first word that he uttered, as soon as that happened, God dispatched 
an answer in the person of Gabriel the angel. Incredible. But here's the thing. Daniel didn't know that. He didn't perceive that. He didn't have a clue that as soon as he was praying, something was happening in the heavenlies, that God was working on behalf of his people because of Daniel's prayers of intercession. That should encourage you. No matter what situation you may find yourself in, be assured that when you pray in line with the will of God, know that God is working. Oh, it may not be immediate. You may not see the results immediately. It may take years but trust that he is working on your behalf for his glory, yeah? There's a true story about a, a guy called Marcus Legel who grew up in uh, the, the communist re- regime in East Germany. If you know anything about German history, after the Second World War, the nation was divided east from west, and the Berlin Wall was built to separate the people, and it was a devastating time for the German people because they had family members on the other side of the wall, and they couldn't cross it. It was insurmountable, and, and some people that tried to cross were, were shot down dead. And so Marcus Legel recalls as a teenager being caught up in the prayer movement that happened in the city of Leipzig, Germany. And he said that, that when he started to attend the meetings, the group was quite small, and they had to meet secretly with candlelight, but the group increased in number and in size, and they prayed. They prayed for an end of communism. They prayed for the reunification of the nation of Germany, and they prayed and they prayed. And then in 1989, the Berlin Wall came tumbling down. And it was estimated that up to 300,000 Christians were praying at that time. 300,000 Christians interceding, pleading on behalf of their nation. The Berlin Wall came down and there was unity and there was restoration in the nation. One communist official said the following day to one reporter, he said, we were prepared for absolutely everything except candles and prayer. (laughs) Candles and prayer. You see, when we pray, come on, who believes? When we pray in line with the will of God, we will change the course of history. We'll grab the attention of God. Someone rightly said that the hinge of history is the bended knee. The hinge of history is the bended knee. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers, he's dead now, but he's still my favorite preacher, and he said it's the slender nerve of prayer that moves the omnipotent arm of God. You may not feel like much, a weak Christian, a simple believer, but oh, the power of intercessory prayer that you join with his omnipotent arm. And we may see History changed as a result of intercessory prayer. Can I hear an amen? So intercession is powerful. It grabs the attention of God. Intercession is generated by scripture. It presupposes partnership. It's born out of desperation. It's powerful. So those are the four observations. I trust they are helpful. And I pray that they would inspire you, stir you to do more interceding for your family, for your neighbors, for your city, for this nation of ours. Four quick practical steps now to help us be a church, a people who actually does this. Number one, four quick steps, very practical steps here. Number one, get inspired. Get inspired. What do I mean by that? Get inspired about God, about his character, about his nature, his goodness, his wisdom, his grace, his power. Get inspired about the promises of God. 
the promises of God for the world, the promise of God for you. Get inspired. Also, be inspired by the gospel reality that our salvation is the result of Christ's intercessory work on our behalf. What did he cry from the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. If you're a believer, God answered that prayer in your life. Be be inspired by that. Get inspired by intercession, by the fact that Jesus is the ultimate Esther who didn't only risk his life but gave his life up for us to bring us liberation. Get inspired by that. Also get inspired by what Romans 8 tells us, that the Holy Spirit who we have is the spirit of intercession. He's the spirit of intercession. He's the great missionary in the world, the great intercessor. Ask him, oh, Holy Spirit, birth in me prayers of intercession in line with your will. So that's the first. Get inspired. Second, get informed. Get informed. How can we pray if we don't know what we're supposed to be praying into? <laughs> get informed about political needs. You can sign up to the uh, Australian Christian Lobby. They, they've got a, a prayer calendar that they send out every three months and it's really really helpful It'll keep you abreast of what's happening in our government at a government level and you can just pray uh, intercessory prayers for the government and what's happening in the nation or, or, or church needs the persecuted church voice of the martyrs or open doors you can subscribe to their newsletter and again we can be actively praying for believers around the world or uh, missional needs missional needs what, what what's happening in the world in terms of the gospel advancement you can look at operation world a great website operation world or or joshua project which kind of informs us about the unreached people groups of the world and we should be bothered about the un- people, unreached people groups because Jesus said this gospel has to go throughout the whole world before I return. And so allow these things to stir you. Get informed and then pray. Number three, get indignant. And I've mentioned this already, but get indignant. God wants certain things to happen. And as believers, when we don't see them happening, we're to be disturbed by that. It's to bother us, frustrate us, drive us to our knees. Again, we're not to be happy and content with the status quo. Every revival, pretty much, historically speaking, was precipitated by indignant people praying. Every revival. And so we need to get more indignant, not being content with the way things are. So that's number three, get indignant. So get inspired, get informed, get indignant. And lastly, probably most importantly, get together. Get together with other believers, just like in the city of Leipzig, just like the believers in the early chapters of the book of Acts. They prayed for the Holy Spirit and they were filled again, filled afresh with the Spirit and sent out on mission again. We need to get together in our connect groups to pray, to intercede for our family members, for our neighbours, for political situations and whatnot. We need to get together. And also, as Hill mentioned in the announcements, this coming Friday, we've got our monthly prayer gathering. Make sure you're there. Make sure you're there. Commit yourself to attend and be there because we will give space and time to pray into areas, uh, citywide areas and nationwide areas as well. Yeah, so get inspired, get informed, get uh, indignant and get together. Awesome, let's stand.
I'm going to ask the music team, if they're still here, to come forward. That'd be great. And as we've been doing these past couple of weeks, at the end of each sermon, we've been doing something a bit practical. Last week, we you know, shared our stories. And, and this morning, as we've been thinking about intercession, it's fitting that we intercede. It's fitting that we pray. And so if something is stirred in your heart, it might be for someone's salvation. It might be for social justice in the world or some particular aspect of social justice. It might be for the fruitfulness of the gospel or whatever it may be, a certain unreached people group maybe. Let's spend some time, two or three minutes, just interceding together as the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Are you with me? Thank you. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, I pray. Lord, Lord God, we all got family members, Lord God, that don't know you. Come on, church, let's pray. Lord God, we got family members that don't know you, Lord. Lord God, they are unfruitful fig trees. And we pray, Lord God, that you would rescue them, Lord God. You would pour out your mercy and truth upon them, Lord God, that they would be drawn to Jesus the true vine who gives life and salvation and rescue. Lord, we pray, oh God. Lord God, we pray for what's happening around the world, Lord God. We do pray for those unreached people groups, Lord God, who desperately need the gospel, Lord God. If you want to send us, Lord, would you find us available, Lord God? Would you find us ready to go, Lord God? Even if that means counting the cost and letting other things go, I pray, oh God, move, Lord God, in our hearts, Lord God. Move in those unreached regions in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you.